0: We come to, or we're coming very close to a big transition in the book of Mark, uh, which begins in chapter eleven, and uh, Jesus is getting more intense with his disciples as the clock is ticking and as his time in Jerusalem approaches. And um, we have been, we've been talking in community groups over the last couple of weeks, uh, kind of shifting into some. Uh, just some study about the kingdom of God and and just what that terminology means and just kind of making sure that that when you hear uh, referenced in the scriptures or in conversation or a sermon or something, when someone says the kingdom of God, that, that we have at least a few of the same ideas popping into our heads. There's always going to be variety, but um, it 's what we've been talking about in community groups. And one of the things that you will find throughout history, uh, like all of human history and biblical history uh, as well, is that, when, uh, is that the, the quality of life inside of a kingdom is, a, is directly tied to the character of the king. It's a reflection of who he is. And so in the Bible, when there are, uh, when there are, are bad kings on the throne in Israel, then life is terrible um, when there are good God uh, loving, God-honoring kings, then things are great. You see that in the Bible, you see that in human history, you see that in any movie that you watch, that's a reflection of like what a kingdom is like. Um, and so when we talk about the kingdom of God, it's really no different. that the quality of life inside the kingdom of God is tied to the character of, the, of, of our king. It's a reflection of our king. And so we're going to look at this text from that perspective this morning, Mark chapter ten. We're starting in verse thirty-two, and they were they were um, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Okay, so let's, let's stop right there. Um, this is the third time that Jesus has talked about his, like, what's going to happen to him. His arrest torture death resurrection it's the third time he's referenced it here he goes into a little greater detail though each time he's like added a little bit a little bit he's got a little more specific um and so what i'd like to do this morning is really in a very what i think is a simple way just point out three things about our king that we see through this passage what we just read in the next one Three things about the character of our King that tell us what life in His kingdom is like. And uh, the point, though, is not to talk about how great we have it. You know, we can talk, I mean, you, we could preach, I could preach weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks about how, how great we, we have it in the kingdom. All the benefits to us and all the things about us. That ain't what's happening here. This This is about Him. We can let the implications fall where they may. This is really just about him. And so I'm going to give us three points because preachers like three, so I'll give you three. The first thing that we see in these verses is just to simply, to put it very simply, our king walks toward the cross. He walks toward the cross. So they're going up to Jerusalem, which is a, that's a geographic thing. Um, does it ever bother you when someone's like, so yeah, we're going up to New Orleans this weekend. You're like, no, New Orleans is down, you know, it's South. Get your direction straight. But when he says we're going up to Jerusalem, he's like, literally means like we have to climb the mountain to get there. And they're going up to Jerusalem and, uh, the, some were amazed and some were afraid. And he, again, like he pulls the 12 aside and he, he tells them very, very plainly. Look again at verse 33. We're going up to Jerusalem the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. So if you knew, like, like if there was like a town, and you're like, if you show up in this town, they're going to kill you. Would you go to that town? Probably, probably not. And he's like, hey, guys, guess what? We're going up to Jerusalem, and it's, it's not going to end well. Want to come with me? Want to be associated with me? Want to be a part of of my like disciple group here? That's probably why some of them were a little bit afraid, and some of them were amazed, and and some of them were probably understanding what he meant, and some of them probably were not. But look at verse thirty four. This is new detail that he he adds. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. Now Jesus is. Um, like he's not like exempt from like the the terribleness of that sentence just because he's god there's this theological concept that's called the hypostatic union which which is a way of saying that Jesus he he has it's the union of being fully god and fully man like in one in one container all right that they're, they're both fully present somehow. We don't, we don't understand it, but they, so it's probably why they put a weird term on it, hypostatic union, whatever, you know? Um, but that's what the theologians call it, and that's the concept, is that somehow 100% God, 100% man, all present in Christ. But a part of that whole thing is that he, uh, the majority of his ministry, from what the scriptures indicate, he's probably not accessing that divine part of him very often. Like he's put up a firewall somehow between those. That that Jesus is not walking around and he stubs his toe and because he's God, it doesn't hurt him. He's like, no, I'm not going to access the part of me that can't be hurt. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to humble myself. I'm not going to to consider that part of me something to be held tightly to. I'm going to let go of that and I'm going to just operate as a man. I'm going to operate in that 100% human part of me that is dependent on the Father and the Spirit to guide me and empower me and all that stuff. So there are times when, um, when, when we see Jesus kind of, uh, maybe, um, like, you know, like, like there's the, there's the story where, um, they have the woman caught in the act of adultery and they're like, we the scriptures say we're supposed to stone her. What are we supposed to do? And Jesus kneels down and doodles in the dirt. And I once heard a pastor say that he, he thinks that he was praying in that moment. Like he was like, let me do a math equation here. And make you think I'm doing a math equation. But really, he's like, oh, please hook me up. What do I say? What do I say? What do I say? And then he stands up and he has the best answer ever. You know, um, that kind of is is indicative of what um, what most most of the time we think Jesus was doing is he was dependent on the Holy Spirit to show him what to do, what to say, just like you and me. Um, so when when Jesus is explaining what's going to happen to him, and he's like, they're going I'm gonna get handed over, and they're going to. Um, they're going to arrest me and they're going to convict me. And then when he says this sentence, they will mock me and spit on me and flog me and kill me. He has to experience all of that. He doesn't, he doesn't tap out and then just be like, you can't hurt me. I'm God. No, he's, he's going to feel all of that. And what he's describing here is this is like a He's describing the kind of torture and punishment that was reserved for the worst of criminals. This wasn't a minor offense. And so when he speaks of flogging, they would have known... Oh, he's talking about, he's talking about crucifixion here. This is not like an off-with-their-heads kind of thing. This is like the worst form of human torture that the Romans could possibly come up with. They're like, what would be the worst possible death? How can, we, how can we bring someone just, just shy of death and then let them like hang on for hours and hours and hours and hours? How can we make them suffer publicly um, to deter crime? And so what he's describing now for the first time to them is far more intense. And I think it says something about his character that he's not running the opposite direction on the map. That he's like, I, I'm gonna, like, I'm going up to Jerusalem. This is what's going to happen. Uh, actually, he says we are going up. He's like, you, you guys are coming with me. But he's not running away from it; he's running into it. And that says a lot about who our King is. You know, one of the one of the examples that always comes to mind of this is uh, whenever you see the the like nine eleven footage of. Of everyone running from the buildings, and you have the firemen and the police and the first responders all running toward those like burn those burning, smoldering buildings. You know, it says a lot about their character. I don't think they're just doing their job. They're they're like, no, we we are here to do this thing. They're running towards it, not from it. And our king, um, you know, a lot of times in movies and stuff, when there's like a battle going on, the king is. He's like up on the hillside, right? Giving the the, the commands, and everyone else is out there fighting. And Jesus sets that right side up and saying, "Like, actually, as your as your king, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull all you guys back, and I, I'm gonna be the one to go into it." And I didn't I didn't connect these dots. This is which is why I have a lot of books on my shelves from really smart guys who do connect dots. And they were talking about the connection between um, not this particular passage, the next one. With the prophecies in Isaiah, and I started to look at it more closely, and I was like man this is he 's basically um, describing for them what they would have memorized as these prophetic utterances about who the messiah would be and i don 't know if they connected those dots, they probably did with some of the language that he used and i want to I want to read uh, we'll put we 'll put them on the screen too, but um, here 's a few verses and see if any of this Sounds familiar compared to what he just said. Isaiah fifty two fourteen says, As many were astonished at you, um, it says his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and its form beyond that of the children of mankind. A part of the prophecy was that um, he would be beaten to the point where you didn't even recognize him as a human. Isaiah 53, a few verses later, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom mid hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. When they're spitting on someone and they're mocking him and they're flogging him, that's exactly what would happen. Isaiah 53, five says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace with his wounds were healed. That's describing something that he has just described to his disciples is going to happen to him. Verse seven, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that's led to the slaughter. Like a sheep before it's shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. That he was going to not be the sheep that's running away from the slaughterhouse. He's the one going into the slaughterhouse voluntarily. In verse 9, they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. So, to jump back to verse 34, look at it again. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. That description is all that stuff from Isaiah, he's pulling that into the present. He's like, I'm, I'm the one Isaiah was talking about. Now I don't know if the disciples would have thought that, but we need to think that. Like, we need to understand the connection between those things. That he is going to run toward something that terrible. The ESV study Bible says it this way. It says that Jesus walks the path of surrender. Our king walks the path of surrender. Our king is committed to the people of his kingdom, and so if we're if we're going to exalt the character of our king, I think one place to start is remember he's the one that ran to the cross, not away from it. Let's keep reading, verse thirty-five. So this is the this is their response. These, these guys, man. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Parents, you ever have your kids ask you that? Like, I'm going to ask you a question, you promise you say yes? (laughs) It was like, uh, okay. Uh, Verse 36, and so he says, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they said to him, we are able. Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I'm baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. But for those, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared okay, so there it's almost like they they didn't hear anything in his description except for the last part that says that he's gonna like rise from the dead you know like it didn't they didn't really like stop to think much about the terrible death that their rabbi was going to go through um I'm glad that they heard like after three days he'll rise, but it's almost like that's all that they really cared about, and to them. Uh, it was still like this, this messianic role was that like, cool, you'll, that'll happen. You'll rise from the dead. And then you're going to put your like cabinet together, you know, like you're going to assemble your group of leaders for the like m- military and political takeover of Rome. That's right. So like and everyone, like, you're going to be super famous when that happens. So we want to make sure whenever it's time to pick to pick your team, to, p- to pick your your cabinet, your council, um, we want to be we want to be right at your side. Like literally, tell us which one gets which seat of honor next to you. Like they're just they're still thinking, and along these lines, and and Jesus has this like beautiful way of. Uh, there are times when He just puts them in their place, and other times He's like He's like you think you can hang with with me and they're like oh yeah we're big time warriors <laughs> you know we're super good at military things um and he's like yeah like you'll you'll drink the cup i drink you'll be baptized with the same like of course for them it'd be very different like they he's basically saying like you're gonna pay the price for all this yeah it's it's gonna be hard um but the the sitting at my right hand and left hand thing that that's not a me thing, that's a that's a father thing. It's not mine to grant. I got real hung up on that on that. Look again at verse forty. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant. But it is for the it's for those for whom it's been prepared. Another character thing about our King is that he. He defers to the Father. And that might not seem like a big deal at first, and to me, I was like, like when it first kind of went through my head, I was like, well, yeah, of course he does. But I started to think more about that. Like, what what king defers to someone else? Because isn't being a king like isn't that the, like the perk? Is that you're the bottom line? Like whatever you say, that's, that's how it goes. Isn't that how we've been talking in terms of kingdom? It's wherever, it's wherever like what the king says, what he wants done is done. That's where his kingdom is. That's where his territory is. Now what king is going to say, uh, well, you know, that's not really a, that's not really a me thing. That's like above, above me. Our king does. And that's a, that's a character thing. And again, To tie to Isaiah 53, verse 10, it says, It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Look at the first part of that. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. That our king is, is going to the cross. He's going toward the cross, not away from it. And he's going to the cross so that God the Father can crush him. Like he's submitting, deferring to the Father. And sure, he's doing that here in regard to James and John. And their like just ridiculous question. But that's a reflection of, of who he is makes sense a little bit later in Matthew 26, verse 39, when he's praying in Gethsemane. It says, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He's saying, if, 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 if we can redeem all of our sons and daughters without me having to be like crucified... Uh, that would be that'd be fantastic but it isn't what i want it it's it's about it's what you want It's why when he teaches us to pray he says pray to the father your your holy perfect dad who is also the king who is closer than you can possibly imagine come to him and say uh, i want your kingdom like to be the dominant narrative of my kingdom, I want it to be in my kingdom as it is in heaven, I want it to be on earth as it is in heaven, I want it to be in my in my spending as it is in heaven in my thought life as it is in heaven in my in my attitude as it is in heaven and how I treat my enemies as it is in heaven in in my discernment as it is in heaven in, in every I mean you name it as it is in heaven that's why he's teaching us to live that way because he lived that way. It tells us in Philippians 2, in the Christ hymn, he says, in verse 5 through 7, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, by the way. Like, it is possible to live this way. Um, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Our, our king lives this out. Our king is not insisting on his own way. Our king does all of the things he asks us to do. This exposes things about his character. It exposes his humility. It exposes his love. It exposes his trust in the Father. It exposes his, his o- obedience. Like, this is the guy that we are following Him. Who wouldn't want to follow that? You know? He goes toward the cross. He defers to the Father uh, instead of insisting on His own way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's the last section, verse 41. When the ten, so when the other disciples, when they heard... What the other guys had asked, they began to be indignant at James and John, of, of course, like right like who wouldn't be? And Jesus called to them and said to them, "You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant." Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He says, "Look, you guys want to be leaders so much, you want to be powerful so much, you want to like, you want to be my right hand, my left hand. You know, you know what that means? Uh, That means you're you're my right hand, your left hand. Cool. Here's the servants' towel. You take that group over there, and you take that group over there, and I'll take this group right here." We'll be the waiters at the at the dinner. The guests of honor will be those pushed to the margins. The guests of honor will be those who have nothing to bring at all and we'll be the ones asking if they need more tea. That's, that's different than the world you grew up in, the world, the world that you want. What you're asking is, you're asking to be a part of something that is not real. So just to make sure we're clear, that's what the kingdom is going to look like. So our king runs, goes toward the cross. He defers to the father. And the last thing, our king is a self-sacrificing servant. He is self-sacrificing in him, in the giving of himself for others. And this is the, this is like a further connection to Isaiah 50, 52 and 53. Uh, here's a couple of examples. 52, 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. So God calls him my servant. 53 5. He is pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. He is self sacrificing, serving you so that you and I can be healed. And it's so easy to make the gospel about our healing instead of about his self sacrifice. Our healing is just a byproduct. Like we're like like and we should be eternally grateful and we should celebrate that and like fist pump that. That's, there's time for that. But the gospel is not a, a me centered thing. It's a Christ centered thing. By his wounds, his voluntary wounds, we're healed. Fifty three verse ten. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And then when his soul makes an offering for guilt, what do you do with an offering? You, you offer it. That's why I call it an offering here. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, us. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. This was the plan the whole time, but he had to say yes to it, which he did, which is why we're here. Verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. You realize that Jesus does not regret his decision to die for you? Like on, on, on my like, like most boneheaded day, he doesn't look at me and be like, ah, I'm not so sure about that one. I'm not sure. He does not regret what he has done. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many, many, us, to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Self-sacrificing servant says, I'll take, I'll take this unto me, and then I'll give you this in exchange. He's like, let's, let's swap. 53 verse 12. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So um, the Father gives him everything, and he's like, Hey, I'm going to share it with all of you. Isn't that what it says? I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Our king is like, hey, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hoard all this like heavenly reward that the father has showered upon me. I'm going to share it with every one of you made in my image. We're going to rule the universe together forever. And until then, the last part. He makes intercession for the transgressors. So until that gets fully consummated, when when Christ returns and all all that good stuff happens, until then, I'm going to be praying for you. He could be up there just like, look, I did my part. I need some me time. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to intercede in this mind-blowing way for every one of our kids. I'm going to stand between earth, heaven, however you want to think of that, between the, the porch and the altar, as it says in the Old Testament, I'm going to be in the middle of those things for you until that's no longer necessary. That That's who our king is. He runs to the cross, deferring to the Father, serving us no matter what it costs him, which is probably why in Philippians verse uh, chapter 2, this this hymn had developed in the New Testament church, this thing that they would sing, and we have the lyrics. Uh, we don't know the tune, and it doesn't rhyme very well in English, um, but this is the Christ hymn, which sounds to me like as they began to connect all those dots, I'm like, man, Isaiah 52, 53 said this, and then Jesus said this, um, let 's write a song about it. I'd like to hear it. here it goes it says have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Like, what what more do we need? You know? And so we are joining the that that part of the hymn that at his name, every knee bows in heaven and on earth and under the earth we are on the on the earth part of that right now, like we're the ones that bow, and we bow in many different ways, but we are the ones who look at that king and we say you're you're my king,' like i." Whatever you say, whatever you want, um, it makes the kingdom of me and all my little control and my little narratives and my little whatever, it just it's completely foolish to say no to this king when he says, how about you bring all that stuff under submission to me? We'll do this together. So some sermons have a real practical application. This one doesn't need it, I don't think. So we're just going to respond to it. And we're going to respond in the ways that we normally respond. One of them that's probably incredibly relevant today would be communion. To be able to take bread and uh, grape juice for us, and to dip that bread into the juice and to have someone say the body of Christ broken for you and the, the blood of Christ poured out for you. Um, he ran to that. He deferred to the father and sacrificed himself for you and for me. He took, he took your sins away and gave you his life in exchange. Um, he gave us this meal to remind us because he knew we'd need some tangible things. And so when, when you take that into your body, it is a reminder that, that like he, he has given you everything that you need. And so we're going to have two stations that are available. You don't have to be a member of this church to take communion here. If you, uh, if you have said yes to Jesus, like you believe that he has done this for you, then you're welcome in our lines. There may be some things that you want to pray through before you do that or just some things stirring in general. Uh, these steps are open. You can come and kneel. You can bring somebody with you if you want. We'll have some ministers on the front row that would love to pray with you. Um, especially if this is all very new to you and and you're like, uh, you want to talk about having a relationship with Jesus for the first time, then that's what we're here to do. And of course we're going to sing because this, uh, evokes some song in us. And so when I get done praying, we're going to have a number of these things happening all at once if you're here for the first time. But, uh, I think that um, such a simple a simple text, a simple message, just a reminder to to me and to all of us, I, I think that um, this is all about him. We benefit greatly, but it begins and ends with him, and he's everything in between. So I'm going to pray for us. Let's stand together by that. God, I'm so thankful for your goodness and just the simplicity of uh, just how calm you were in that text. Here you are, forecasting this, like, these awful next steps for you, and no one around you understood. And yet you just stayed so focused. You stayed so humble and so obedient and so driven. It didn't matter if everyone understood. You knew that they would eventually, um, it, would make, it would make more sense down the road. And here we are all these, all these years later still trying to make sense of it. So I'm thankful that you're patient with us as we continue to, to have these things drive deep down into our hearts and minds. And so, God, as we respond to the fact that our king is is this kind of king, this self-sacrificing servant who, who emptied himself in so many ways for us, who said yes to the Father. As we respond to that kind of, the, the character displayed there, I pray, God, that Whatever you had in mind when you created communion and prayer and and song, uh, all of these are supposed to be responses to who you are. And so I pray that all those things would play the role you had in mind this morning and that we would just exalt you in beautiful ways in our remaining time together. We love you, Father, and uh, we love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. our tables are open and we're going to sing together in just a second as soon as I get all hooked up here. Um, Let's just give him this beautiful time of response.